Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome to WineSmart. We're back with Monique Houston, our Vice President of Spirits Portfolio. Always a fabulous conversation. Let's talk mash. What do you think? I think most people probably think it's not that exciting, but I think it is exciting. <laughs> I think we'll make it exciting. How about that? Agreed. Two basic kinds of mash, sour mash, sweet mash. Two basic kinds of mash. That's exactly right. And the majority of um, bourbon whiskey produced is sour mash. So that's kind of the default. Um, sour mash typically means kind of like sourdough bread that you've got a starter. And so um, in the industry called setback, and that setback could be anywhere from, you know, one to 15% of the preceding um, batch of fermentation of like fermenting mash. So um, just leaving that back uh, typically just for efficiency, but also consistency of flavor. Interesting. But whiskey is not the only spirit that practices that, right? There's, this is also done in rum production. You see it a lot in rum production and you'll, you'll see things called dunder pits where you will do something very similar where they're never empty. So you never want in something like a dunder pit, you would never have to go in and add yeast. There would either be, um, you know, yeast just biologically present that would continue on the fermentation. Um, but again, just kind of leaves a level of consistency. I, I would say almost maybe too akin to a Solera process in sherry, mm. um, but it just in the fermentation step instead of in the maturation step. And, and super responsible for some of those very unique flavors that we get from either whiskey to whiskey or from rum producer to rum producer. Okay, so now sweet mash. I think it sounds like a misnomer, so keep us in the box. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily taste sweet, but in a lot of cases will be sweeter than a sour mash, but essentially just means starting the mash from scratch every time so that none of it is soured. There is no setback used, um, that all of the equipment and everything needs to be really cleaned and sanitized and just started completely from scratch. Let's let's delve into, instead of reactions to that, let's delve into um, why would someone prefer sour mash in their process uh, and then we'll move back to sweet mash. Absolutely. Sour mash is really the classic. You go back to the history of American whiskey, let's say going back 150 years or into the point at which it's become very popular again in the past 30 years. Once you found something that you hit upon that people really liked, you wanted to keep it consistent. There wasn't the market for the breadth of difference of flavors and the brands and the kind of special things that stand out now that are becoming a big deal. You go back 30 years and bourbon was trying to win over vodka. So it made a lot of sense once you found something that people liked, some of those larger brands, to just try to keep it as consistent as possible. So Sour Mash really allowed them to know that from the very beginning, you had a consistency and start. You knew which yeast you were using. You knew how it interacted with the grain wherever you were getting that from, you knew how long your fermentation would take. And then you really knew what the end distillate looked like as well, and probably had a pretty good idea of what the end product looked like. And what about the realities of, you know, basically you're making beer that you're going to distill and beer making is not nearly as safe biologically as winemaking because of the difference in pH of the juice versus a mash. How does sour mash play into that? 
I, it's such a great point, Ron. So with sour mash, you're really going to have a lower pH. So spoilage is a lot less likely. Again, in those distilleries going back 100 years or, or 50 years, 30 years, you wouldn't have had as much oversight. You would have been running with a small team, probably not a lot of um, machines, computers, anything else involved to tell you if a mash was going south. So you wanted to have everything in place to keep spoilage as low a possibility as possible. And that's really what sour mash was particularly good for. And that that makes sense in the beginning points of whiskey. Once we get into the future where, you know, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, we did have the ability to, to measure and control. And we stuck with it mainly because of tradition, because uh, the flavor it creates. I think a, a few different things. I think tradition, because of the flavor it creates, um, it, there really wasn't to the growing demand that there is for bourbon right now and the diversity of flavors, but also just that people really liked that flavor. How do we kind of, how do we keep that going? So, so that was something that people really um, continued to glom onto is that if you really like the combination of this grain and this yeast, okay, then let's just keep it going and keep it as consistent as we possibly can. Maybe also being able to build in Um, efficiencies and you were really trying to keep costs under control. So if you're doing sour mash, you're not necessarily cleaning out, you know, the the stills and your fermentation vessels and everything else. So it took less people, it's less, um, definitely less dollar intense and provided an outcome of a product that we knew would sell. Makes sense. So why move to sweet mash? Let's talk about that. It's an interesting question because I, I couldn't tell you the exact brand that did it you know, right away, because if you don't see sweet or sour mash on the bottle, the default is typically going to be sour. You will see, um, that's probably 95% of the brands on the market right now. Again, mostly at this point, consistency again with the big brands and lower cost, even for smaller brands. So people that are up and coming, just getting started cost is, you know, is a really, really big factor in keeping costs low. Um, also less labor intense. So if you're just a tiny new artisanal distillery, you don't have a bunch of extra bodies around to go through and clean in between every batch that you're doing. So it makes a lot of sense that it would have stayed that way. For sweet mash, I, I feel like it started to come on the scene in the last decade for sure. But really there's a, a Kentucky brand um, called Kentucky Peerless that that released a two-year-old whiskey that was $100 a bottle right when it came out. And I remember just looking at it thinking, beautiful bottle, beautiful packaging, beautiful label, Kentucky bourbon, love it. But, you know, where do you get off charging $100 for a two-year-old bourbon? And the thing that stuck out to me the most on the label was the fact that they made a big deal out of using sweet mash. Do I don't know if that really commands that much higher of a price point, but that was definitely part of the justification. And that that justifies it for, you know, talk through that a little bit. Um, You've alluded to the idea that it's obviously more arduous. It's an interesting decision and one that is definitely more cost intense and cleaning intense and, and, you know, people power intense. They also are in a bespoke bottle with a really beautiful bespoke label and really trying to um, partially market themselves as Mm -hmm. one of the first to market with a noted sweet mash. So I think that's just uh, amplifying the marketing piece of it. Um, we now see other people entering the market using sweet mash, but not at that price point. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely seeing more of a prevalence of it, especially um, I think with with people asking more about the origin, not just of the spirit itself, but of all the elements that go into a spirit. So everything from the grain to the yeast and sweet mash gives you a lot more flexibility to be able to switch between different yeast strains, different grain strains, different heritage strains of grain. Um, and really come up with more iterations of your product rather than maybe like just one bourbon or just one rye. 
Okay, so now we're talking about the ability to expand the choice for the consumer based on yeast, of course, makes a huge difference in a fermented beverage, which of course then distills out at some level of residual flavor. Is it more clear what the spirit was made from grain-wise when the fermentation is done with sweet mash instead of sour? I believe that it is. That is my opinion. Uh, I have also had the benefit of tasting, you know, quite a few of these and quite a few different sweet mash products. I feel like the um, the quality of the grain, the choice of the grain comes through specifically amplified by a yeast strain chosen for it, not a default. So if you're using a very specific type of heritage corn, let's say, which lots of people are into heritage grains right now and making sure that those seeds are being replanted and et cetera, et cetera. But being able to amplify the strengths of that heritage grain with a yeast strain specifically chosen, probably through some trial and error to amplify what you love about that grain in the first place. Right. Just like a producer in Champagne has a select set of preferred yeast that do a good job creating the base for Champagne or the secondary fermentation for the bubbles. It makes a lot of sense to me as a, as a wine geek and also the little bit I know about beer production, yeast is hugely influential in what the final product is. I think those are really, really good points. And I think you're exactly right. Because beer is not a distillate, you can taste even more of it. But what all distillers start out making is beer. So if you start to get those flavors, if you're able to do some R&D, start to get those flavors amplified that you like, the hope and hope, you know, the end result is that concentrated through distillation, you're going to get those flavors even more strongly. Everything that you loved about it, everything that was unique about it. From the uh, buying and selling aspect, I'm running under the assumption that if somebody goes through the trouble to do a sweet mash, it's going to be on the label. Is that a safe assumption? I'd say it's a safe assumption, but not always. I do think in just having labeled a sweet mash uh, ourselves, um, a beautiful release of Field and Sound Bourbon that we just put out, you debate about it because there is some um, consumer confusion around the term. And so putting the term on there, for me, it's, it's I, want, I think the consumer wants every bit of information they can get. And if they look at it and say, oh, is that different from what I've read on other bottles? Then, you know, we made sure to, to put a little bit more information on the back of the bottle, tons of information on the website. To me as a consumer, if I read something and I'm not quite clear on what it is, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. I think that um, potentially some other more artisanal companies or larger companies maybe would avoid it because they want to avoid confusion and questions. But mm. If you're going to have to charge a little bit higher price point, we will definitely see that across the board. It is a more expensive process. So if we're going to charge more money, I, as a consumer, I want more information. I want it to be there. I want it to be transparent. Makes complete sense to me. Thank you for your time today, Monique. 